Appreciate being here this morning. Uh, thankful everybody made an effort to be in the Lord's house. And appreciate the great group of children we got up here and what a blessing they are to us. And just uh, it's good to see all these kids up here. And we appreciate everybody that makes an effort to bring them. And uh, we're just looking forward to a great day in the Lord and just uh, thankful we're saved this morning and uh, thankful we have that peace in our heart. And uh, you know, the world is looking, they go chasing anything and everything, trying to find peace and happiness, and they ain't never going to have it until they have what I have. That's it. That's the only thing that matters in this life, knowing that you're saved and going to heaven. I, I pray nobody leaves here today without knowing that. Uh, I'm going to ask Brother David dismiss us to Sunday school.
It's good to be here this morning. Appreciate everybody being at Sunday school. We are going to be in Romans chapter 7 this morning. It's been, it's been maybe a month or six weeks ago that I taught out of Romans uh, chapter 14. And uh, so there's a lot of similarities, same writer, same audience, uh, the discussion in the chapters isn't exactly the same, but it, it's the same underlying principle, which is the, uh, the application of the law to people that are saved. And so uh, we'll go through some of the, the back story, I guess, with this as well. So uh, you'd be in prayer for us. Um, so the book of Romans was written by Apostle Paul. And, he, of course, he wrote, you know, maybe half of the New Testament or more than that. Um, the book of Romans was written A.D. year 57. And so at the time that Paul wrote the book of Romans, he was actually in Corinth. And I'll let them get that door closed there, making a little noise. I don't want to compete with them. <laughs> I know they've got this room over here where they've been meeting. I know they've got it kind of turned upside down working on the air conditioning in there. So. so Paul was in Corinth when he, got, when he wrote the book of Romans, and his audience was the church in Rome. Now, most of Paul's writings were to a church that he had been to and had established and helped get set up and get going, the book of Romans isn't that way. Paul had not been to Rome and met with this church. He had not established this church. He knew a lot of people there, and he loved those people. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, which were his dear friends and he had traveled with for two or three years, uh, they were tent makers just like he was, and they had been to Ephesus and, and had worked on establishing uh, the church in Ephesus. Uh, together, and they even stayed there after he left. They were back in Rome at this time when he writes the book of Romans. And so, uh, and he mentions them over in chapter 14 or 16. Uh, he, he mentions them a little bit. So, but, so he's in Corinth and he's writing this, this letter uh, to the church in Rome. So, what was the backdrop in Rome at this time? It's, I think it's important historically to understand what had happened and what was going on there to help properly interpret what he's saying. So in 49 AD, which would have been eight years, approximately eight years uh, before this, there was an emperor uh, named Claudius. And Claudius got aggravated at the Jews, and they weren't 
fighting against him. He just got aggravated because they were having some disturbances and disagreements amongst themselves. And a lot of that disagreement was, is Christ the Messiah or do we keep following the law and should we keep continue to look? So, but Claudius expelled all of the Jews from Rome. He said, you've got to go. That's when Aquila and Priscilla left Rome and went to Corinth and first met up with Paul. And so that was probably around 49 or 50 AD when that happened. Um, so now Claudius stops being emperor in 53 AD. And sometime after that, probably 54 or 55 AD, the new emperor says that the Jews can come back to Rome, and they do. And so what happens there is there was a church made up of Gentiles and Jews, and the Jews all left. And when that happened, the Gentiles that were in that church at that time stepped up and became the leaders of the church, and the church continued. So for a period of about five or six years, the church is being led by the Gentiles. Now the Jews all come back, and there's this same disagreement amongst the Jews and especially amongst the Gentiles, do we that are now saved and living under the grace plan, do we have to follow the old law and live our lives under that? And some of them said, well, sure we do. That's the way we've always done it. That's our requirement. But the Gentiles and a lot of the Jews said, well, no, we don't have to do that anymore. That was the old plan. This is the new plan. We don't have to follow that. And so there's a disagreement that starts to come up amongst the church there in Rome. Over in chapter 14 that we, we taught about uh, maybe six weeks ago, the discussion at that time was about the diet. And do we have to follow the diet that was set out in the old law? Um, and Paul addressed that. But here, he's really just talking specifically about the law itself, all right? So let me ask, is the law a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, that's a good place to start. Was the law perfect? And if the law is not perfect, and I heard some no's, what was, the, what was the weakness of the law? Dad's doing this, right. The weakness of the law was that it, was, it required the flesh to do something that the flesh couldn't do, and that that was to live and fulfill that law, to live perfectly. Of course, we all know there was only one person that lived perfectly, and that was Christ. And so he was the only one that could fulfill the law. So let me ask this. We no longer live in the law age, right? We, we hear preached all the time that there was the law church that was up until Christ, and now the grace church is, is after Christ. So we no longer live in the law age. So Christ did away with the law then. Is that, is that what happened? So Christ didn't do away with the law? So how, how are we not under that law anymore? So if you're driving down the road and the speed limit is 55 and, you're, and you drive 55 
you have fulfilled the law. Your, the, the requirement is to drive 55 or under in that section of road. Well, if you drive 60, but there's no police officer there, have you fulfilled the law or have you just gotten away with not getting caught and getting a ticket? So you haven't fulfilled the law. So the way, I mean, you can you cannot get prosecuted two different ways there. You can get away with it. Under God's omniscient plan, you don't get away with things. He sees everything. Or you can fulfill the law. There was only one who could fulfill the law, and that was Christ. So he fulfilled the law, and through his fulfillment of the law, we no longer have to live under the requirements of the law. We live under grace. All right. So let's look at Romans and see how that applies here. So um, this is Paul speaking, and he is writing to the church in Rome. Know ye, and I'm going to skip the parentheses because I think it makes this this first uh, this first uh, part easier to understand. Know ye not, brethren, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. So what Paul's saying here is, you understand that the law has control over you as long as you're alive, but not after you die. I mean, we don't prosecute people after they die. Even if they committed, you know, broke the law, did something wrong while they were alive, we don't call up a tribunal and have a trial after that person is dead. The law no longer has effect on them, right? They're gone. So what Paul's saying here is, you guys know that the law only has an impact on you as long as you're alive. Now, what he's saying in the parentheses, he says, for I speak to them that know the law. So he's clarifying here. He said, you guys all know, at least those of you who know the law, that the law doesn't have an impact on you after you die. So that kind of makes common sense. And he's using a natural example here, and we'll follow through with that natural example. For the first three verses, he's using a natural, physical, and when he's talking about dying, he's actually talking about physically dying. But then in, chapter, in, in verse 4, he kicks over and it becomes, he uses it to refer to the spiritual. So let's look at how he does this. Verse 2 and verse 3 are both talking about marriage, which he uses as an example. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if she... But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So what he's saying is, two people get married, the woman is bound to the husband as long as he's alive. But if he dies, here in, chapter, in verse 3, so then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law. So that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. All right? All natural. Paul starts this off using this natural example that's easy for everybody here to understand. Verse 4, he's going to switch over and make it spiritual. All right? Because that's really where we're trying to go here. Right? Wherefore, my brethren, ye also, also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. 
So what's he saying? He's saying that they're not required to be under the law anymore because Christ has fulfilled the law and by Christ and his body, they no longer are under that requirement. That ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So, and Paul later in this, in this chapter and in this lesson, and one of, one of my favorite verses, but he says, I was alive without the law. The commandment came, sin revived, and I died. So he's talking spiritually because Paul's obviously physically still naturally alive when he writes that verse. But he's talking spiritually. So what's he saying? Well, i use me as an example. As a young boy, I was safe with an F, S-A-F-E. I had been to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday night, revivals 20 or 30 times a year, homecomings, funerals, you know, pastor appreciation dinners. I mean, if it was at church, I was there. All right. But the God, and I had heard all, you know, kinds of good preachers, different places preach. And, but I was just a young boy. None of that had an impact on me yet. So I was still in my innocence. I was where Paul's saying here, I was alive without the law. Then what's Paul say? Then the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. So as a fi- for me, I was five years old when this happened. As a five-year-old boy, I'm sitting in church it was actually a pleasant view before we came back here. I'm sitting in church at a revival in the spring of 1973, and Ellis Hoskins was preaching the revival. And all of a sudden, something became different to me. All of those times that I had sat in the bench and played with my cars or trucks or hid under the bench or the songbook or whatever, the commandment came. How's the commandment come? Through the gospel. The gospel has to be preached and you have to hear it. That's the way that faith is delivered. So at the same time, and Paul doesn't get into it here, he's talking more about the process of becoming lost. But at the same time that you become lost, that that commandment is delivered to you and you realize that you're not able to measure up, you also at that same time get the opportunity for salvation. The two things happen simultaneously. They don't happen separately from each other. And, you know, there, there is a theology that people will die and go to hell even if they've never had that opportunity. And, and I don't agree with that. It doesn't match up here with what Paul writes. And I, it certainly wasn't that way with me. I don't think there is an age, you know, we don't say, okay, at 12, then you've got to do this, or at 15, or at 21. There's a, there is a, an appointed time for each of us that we should 
have the commandment delivered to us, sin revives in our soul and our soul dies. It dies, it dies, all right? Uh, and our soul is at that point considered dead. Now, does that mean that in eternity that we're not going to continue? No, it doesn't, but you can't really classify that as living. So, um, so verse 4 here, he's, he's, Paul is telling the church that they have, through the body of Christ, they know, since they have been saved and have accepted the body of Christ, they no longer are under that law which they had to live under previous to that. And that seems, I mean, it seems simple to say that, but think about it if you, and, and when we taught on this before, I used the example of playing cards. And some people I know were raised that it's just not proper if you've got a regular card deck to play cards. And other people don't feel that way at all. Now, I'm not talking about gambling. I'm just talking about playing cards when there's no money on the table. I don't agree with gambling on the card game. But so if that's the way you were raised and you were taught that, even if later you realize, well, maybe there isn't anything wrong with that, there's probably still something inside of you that makes you feel like, boy, that I was taught that I shouldn't do that. And so that's where I think the Jews were at. They had been raised that they had to make certain sacrifices, that they had to respect certain feasts, that there were things they couldn't eat. They couldn't eat pork. They were taught that from the time that they were a child and they're, you know, they're in their home and they honored that and respected that and they didn't do it. I think it would be hard for them, even when they accepted that Christ was in fact the Messiah and was the way to salvation, I think it would be hard for them to look at it and go, okay, well, I'm going to go have some bacon now. Okay? I think it probably still, there was, there was some conviction there because that was the way that they were raised. So is there a problem with that? Paul says there is in a couple of places. And, and in the book of Romans is one of them. There's a problem with it if you project your thoughts and feelings on those things onto someone else. There's not a problem with it if you simply honor that and observe that yourself. Okay? So if I'm a Jew and I've been raised that way and now I accept Christ and I'm born again, and I, I think to myself, well, I understand that I'm not under the law and, and, you know, they're telling me that. But I'm going to choose not to eat pork and not to do these things. And I'm still going to observe the things that I observed before. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. But if I go, well, gee, Carl, you can't do that either because that's the way I was raised. And you're offending me if you do that. There's where the problem is because, you know, maybe Carl wasn't raised that exact way and doesn't have that conviction. And so the important thing here is it's really about living under grace and no longer being bound by those requirements. It's really important in the book of Romans because Paul is trying to keep the church from arguing and having a dispute amongst themselves because 
the dispute is the biggest threat and problem that there is for the church in this time. If they have a, a big dispute and split, then then it's going. It's a bigger problem than than anything that really that he's teaching about there. Does anybody have any comments or, or questions on that? Paul, uh, you know, they had the, uh, the conference of Jerusalem in 50 AD, and that conference really was, uh, was about do we follow the law and do we require the Gentiles to follow the law or not? And the, and the big issue there was circumcision because the Gentiles were not circumcised as infants and the Jews were. So the Jews were looking at the, you know, the ones even that had been born again were looking at the Gentiles and going, okay, circumcision is a requirement. If you're going to be holy, you have to do that. So they met, and, and they, they really they came to the conclusion that, no, those requirements under the law are no longer required. But there were a few things, and they said fornication and a few of the things, you know, some of the things that they were doing. So essentially they had to live a clean life but they didn't have to follow all of the requirements of the law. Uh, Paul even tells them at one point uh, over in Galatians, uh, I, love, I love this, Galatians, the third chapter, I'll read this. The same topic, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? And he doesn't, you know, he's not holding anything back there. That you should not obey the truth. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been 
evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? So what had happened here, these folks had gotten saved. And then they had turned back and said, well, everybody's got to live by the law in order to, to be right. And he's telling them. It just isn't the case. You got this by grace. You didn't get this by fulfilling the law. Nobody could fulfill the law. I love that. Out of, that's out of chapter 14, I think, of Romans. And I love that whole part in there because really Paul's writing in chapter 14 and he's telling the two different groups, if eating meat offends your brother, well, don't do it in front of him. And if you're offended by your brother eating meat, try to not be offended. Try to, try to do whatever it is to work together. Um, and Paul even says one place uh, that I've given up a whole bunch of stuff, not for my gain, but for the gain of the people that I'm trying to help. Because if something I'm doing is a stumbling block before them, then I can't be a help to them. You know. So you know, if playing cards in front of somebody, if you know that that greatly offends them, or they think that's you know just way wrong, and that's going to bother them, if you can reach your brother by giving that up. I mean, it's worth it's worth doing that. So, but yeah, I love that because he, he talks to both sides there. But was somebody else. Jew, and, and even now, but I mean, the Jews at this time, it's pretty clear, especially the Pharisees and the scribes, were very interested in trying to follow the law to the jot and the tittle, but not the spirit of the law. And they would use it as a weapon rather than using it 
as a blessing. In 1 Corinthians, Paul also wrote this, obviously, chapter 13 and verse 3, and, and this makes such a point to me. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, give everything you have to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, so everything that you have, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. If you ask somebody the definition of charity, it would be giving what you have to help the poor. So Paul's saying here, if I do every act of charity, but my heart isn't full of love, charity and love, same thing. Uh, if I don't have that, it profiteth me nothing. So we can do all kinds of acts. We can sacrifice and observe the feasts and but if our heart isn't in the right place then there's no profit in it now i didn't see this until denny hunter taught this and i was in his one of his classes years ago and i love this the people that did have their heart right who were jews talking before christ came they're looking forward to the messiah their heart is right, and they do the sacrifices and make their effort to live by the law and observe the feasts, God's Spirit would move in that, and he would bless them. So put yourself in that spot. If you've been there, and you're being blessed, and now all of a sudden you know, somebody shows up, says they're the Messiah, they get crucified. It would be hard to turn your back on what you did all of those years to get that blessing and change. I mean, it, from my perspective, living there and witnessing all that, while some people say, well, if I could have witnessed it, I'd believe. But I think living right there and witnessing it all may have made it harder. I mean, to me, it would be hard to say, okay, well, we've been doing all this and making these sacrifices and doing that, and God's been blessing, to switching and saying, okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow this new plan. Well, you talk about faith. That's a lot of faith. I mean, I just went from being lost to believing that he was the one and putting my trust in him. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have that, that piece in the middle there where I was following something else. So it would be hard. So anybody else have anything? Okay, let's move on. Uh, verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. All right, so there's two deaths. And I want to I clarify this and make this clear. If you don't get anything else out of this, there's two spiritual deaths. Two spiritual deaths? What are you talking about? Well, where Paul says, I was alive... That's me as a young child, without the law. The commandment came, sin revived, I died. I was then lost in our terminology. Okay, I'm lost. So that's, that's a spiritual death. So what's the second spiritual death? Well, later I came to the point where I was willing to accept Christ as my Savior, accept his fulfillment of the law for me, accept him as my proxy, 
Okay? At the point that I accept him, I die out to sin. And I'm reborn. There's that new birth. Okay? I'm reborn a new creature in Christ. So when Paul's talking here about dying or perishing, that old spiritual man is gone. And I'm reborn through Christ. And that, Don, I'll ask you this. That's all my goodness, right? That's how come I was able to do that. All my righteousness? <laughs> my righteousness are filthy rags. It's because of Christ's righteousness that he gives to us when we're willing to accept him as our Savior. So when Paul is writing here that we're no longer under the law because of the body of Christ, there it is. That old man died off. There's a scripture over in Ecclesiastes that says, there's no discharge in this war. You don't get your walking papers and just go, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be out of the war. You've got to die out. You, you die from being in a safe condition to being lost. That's a death. And then if you are saved, you have to die out to that old man and be born again in newness of life. I probably have. <laughs> All right. I'm going to hurry here. We'll try to read these if nothing else. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? That's where I started. Is the law bad? Nope. The law is, and on down here it even says it, the law is holy and just and good. The weakness in the law is our flesh. And we inherited that from Adam. He made our vote for us. And don't be mad at Adam because each and every one of us would have made the same vote. All right. But we elected through Adam. He cast our vote just like our representative to Congress will cast our vote on the next bill that comes up. Adam had our vote. And Adam cast the vote that he did. And we inherited sin, uh, every one of us. But here it says... Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. So what's he saying here? Well, if I ask you, can you jump really high? Well, what's the definition of really high? Well, how about, can you jump 24 inches off the ground? Well, sure I can. Well, let's measure it. Well, how are we going to measure it? Well, we've got to have a measuring stick. The law is the measuring stick. Without the law, we don't know that we're committing sin. He says here, I wouldn't have known that I was lusting had it not been for the commandment, thou shalt not covet. I didn't know that was wrong. Why would I know that was wrong if I didn't have that commandment? So... So he goes on and says, For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So the law is our measuring stick. Uh, Melvin King, pastor down at Harmony Baptist Church, was here for a, an ordination, and he talked about, and he's a musician and a really good musician. He can play two or three instruments and a great singer. And uh, so he said that a, a tuning instrument, 
a, a pitch uh, a pitchfork uh, or a pitch pipe, which will give the exact uh, tune, the exact chord that it's supposed to. You can set your instruments to that. But if you don't have one, your instruments can get a little flat or a little bit sharp, and you may not know it. But when you hear that tuning instrument, then you can go back to that. And that's how the law is for us. And uh, let me see, where's that scripture at? I thought I had it written down. But there's there's a scripture, maybe that's in Galatians 2. I think it's in the third chapter. I won't go there. But Paul said, the law was a schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. How did I know that 2 plus 2 was 4? Well, I learned that. I mean, there was a process to that. So the, he's using that same example. The law is what shows us that we need Christ and that we're short. And by the way, no one can jump high enough to satisfy the law. Nobody is pitch perfect enough to satisfy the law. It has to be through Jesus. Verse 8, But sin, taking occasion of the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, which without the law sin was dead. So that big word just means lust. Okay, so what he's saying is that sin uh, through the law wrought in me all manner of lusts. I did have covetousness. I, I realized that I was short. Uh, for without the law, sin is dead. So what a statement. So the law isn't bad, but without the law, sin is dead. It takes a standard to show us that we're not meeting the standard. Verse 9, for I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. I was safe. The gospel reached me. I realized that I wasn't able to fulfill that requirement and I became lost. And the commandment, which was ordained to life. Christ said, I come not into the world to condemn the world, but through me that the world might have life. That's in John third chapter, maybe verse 17 or 18. I found to be unto death. So I died. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. So we have to be lost before we can be saved. And the law is what shows us that we're short, that we can't, we can't live it. So what questions or comments? I know we've kind of covered a lot of ground there. But. this man does but even when he does sin that man down in there is still alive and and I can I can create a problem for him by how I act but still sealed up but absolutely where sin did abound 
grace did much more abound. Thank you for your comments. That's good. If you want some, some good follow-up reading on, on this lesson, Galatians chapter 3, which Paul wrote in probably 48 or 49 A.D. It was his first book that he wrote. And then they had the conference of Jerusalem in 50 A.D. And then Romans was written in about 57 A.D. So this wasn't an issue that popped up and Paul wrote one letter and it went away and everybody was happy after that. Uh, this was something that was ongoing through his entire life. But thank you for your attention uh, and all your comments and questions.